today. <clears throat> I want to start uh, looking in 1 Samuel chapter 10. First Samuel chapter 10 and verse 1. This is when King Saul, the first king of Israel, becomes anointed king. Verse 1, Then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his head and kissed him and said, Is it not because the Lord has anointed you commander over his inheritance? When you have departed from me today, you will find two men by Rachel's tomb in the territory of Benjamin at Zelzah, and they will say to you, The donkeys which you have went to look for have been found. And now your father has ceased caring about the donkeys and is worrying about you, saying, What shall I do about my son? When you shall go on forward from there and come to the terebinth tree of Tabor, there three men will meet go up men going up to God at Bethel will meet you, one carrying three young goats, and another carrying three loaves of bread, and another carrying a bottle of wine. And they will greet you and give you two loaves of bread, which you all shall receive from their hands. After that you shall come to the hill of God, where the Philistine camp is, and it will happen when you have come there to the city that you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with a stringed instrument, a tambourine and a flute, a harp before them. And they will be prophesying. And then the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you, and you will prophesy with them, and be turned into another man. And let it be, when these things come to you, that you do as the occasion demands, for God is with you. Then you shall go down before me to Gilgal, and surely I will come down to you to offer burnt offerings and sacrifices of peace offerings. Seven days you shall wait till I come to you and show you what you should do. In verse 9, And so it was when he had turned his back to go from Samuel that God gave him another heart, that all those signs came to pass that day. And when they came there to the hill, there was a group of prophets to meet him. And then the Spirit of God came upon him, and he prophesied among them. And it happened when all who knew him formerly saw that he indeed prophesied among the prophets. And the people said to one another, What is this that has happened has come upon the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? There is something in this message about Saul being anointed king and the things that happen after that that stands out like a sore thumb. And it's a very simple thing. And you think about it, but we might lose it in the shuffle of what we're reading here. And that is that Samuel says, the Spirit of God will come upon you and you will become another man. And it says in verse 9 again, so it was when he turned his back to go from Samuel, that God gave him another heart. One of the things that we have to grow in confidence in is that God hasn't changed. He's still the same today as He was in the past. And He'll be the same forever. 
It says Jesus same the same yesterday, today, and forever. He hasn't changed. And he can change a heart in a minute. And here's King Saul. Saul of, the, of this guy Saul, Benjamin. Just a man. And in the time that it took for him to turn from Samuel, that quickly God changed his heart and he became another man. As the Spirit of God came upon him. And I think that some of these things we read today will give us confidence to share the Word of God and concerning our children and our parents and our loved ones who are not saved. Grandchildren even, and so forth and so forth. And people that God brings into our life. People that have backslidden. Do we have confidence that in a moment's time that God can change their heart? And that's what they need. And until God does change their heart, they're going to continue the way they are. And Jesus said, no one can come to me unless the Father draws him. Salvation is the work of God. And it's done by the power of God. And we see in this act of God, when the Holy Spirit comes upon Saul, that he becomes a different man. That's what being born again is all about. Of course, it doesn't happen this way in the Old Testament, being born again, but still we see that when the power of God comes upon somebody, that in an instant they're changed. And the people that are in our lives that annoy us, the people that are in our lives that persecute us, the people in our lives that are enemies and adversaries of us, Jesus said to pray for them. Pray for them for what? That they stop bugging us? A lot more than that. Pray for them that they might change. And we want to remember that as we go forward in looking in this, as we're, what we're looking at today. And as we know perfectly well, that Saul doesn't stay this way. That as he hardens his heart towards God, that it becomes a murderous man. And he actually looks to murder David. And so, as we go to 1 Samuel chapter 19, it's another incident in 1 Samuel. Chapter 19 and verse 18. When King Saul is pursuing David. Chapter 19, verse 18, 1 Samuel. So David fled and escaped and went to Samuel at Ramah and told him all that Saul had done to him. And he, had, he and Samuel went and stayed in Naoth. And it was told Saul, saying, Take note, David is at Naoth and Ramah. Then Saul sent messengers to take David. And when they saw the group of prophets prophesying and Samuel standing as leader over them, the Spirit of God came upon the messengers of Saul, and they also prophesied. And when Saul was told, he sent other messengers, and they prophesied likewise. Then Saul sent messengers a third time, and they prophesied also. And then he also went to Ramah, and came to the great well that is Sechu. And he asked and said, Where are Samuel and David? And someone said, Indeed they are at Naoth at Ramah. And so he went there to Naoth at Ramah, and the Spirit of God 
came upon him also, and went on and prophesied until, Na until he came to Naoth and Ramah. And he also stripped off his clothes and prophesied before Samuel in like manner, and lay down naked all that day and all that night. Therefore, they say, is Saul also among the prophets. A murderous man three times sends out soldiers to come and capture David. And three times when they come there, they fall down and prophesy there. As the Spirit of God comes upon them. And then Samuel goes himself. Same thing happens to him. And everything that happened before, there's David's enemy lying naked and, and, and the Spirit of God upon him and prophesying. God is in control. We don't need to fear what man can do to us. God controls nature. He controls man. He controls everything. He has the whole world in His hands. We just, we just <clears throat> sang. The whole world is under the influence. Those who are not in Christ, as John said, we are of God, but the whole world is under the influence of the evil one. They might be under the influence of the evil one, but God, when He opens a door, no one can shut it. And when He shuts a door, no one can open it, just as Jesus said. And so... We see God in control, not only to stop Saul, but even to have the man prophesying as the Spirit of God can come upon him. Yes, God can come upon a murderer, as we will see further as we look on. <clears throat> the next one we will look at is Acts chapter 9. Verse 1. Actually, <clears throat> let's start, start at eight, chapter 8, verse 1, and then we'll go to 9 1. I had them reversed on my. Acts chapter 8, verse 1. This is after the murdering of Stephen. Now Saul was consenting to his death. And at that time a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judah, Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. And as for Saul, he made havoc for the church, of the church, entering every house, dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. And those who were scattered went everywhere, preaching the word. Well, this is what we've, we've been studying the book of Acts in the men's meeting. And just to make a note, that when they were persecuted, they did what Jesus did, just like they had been doing all along. When they persecute you in one city, go to other cities. And that's what they did. And not only did they do that, but they also preached the word wherever they went. They didn't run and hide with their tail between their legs, like a beaten dog. 
they were bold to speak the word in other cities. The devil tried to destroy the church from the very beginning through the murder of Stephen, the intimidate. They scattered, and everywhere they went, they preached the word, and the church spread, and more people were converted. They didn't form armies and militias to try to fight back like you see today. I'm aware of people that I actually know that are actually forming Christian militias, actually have formed Christian militias, and are storing assault weapons and all kinds of dry, dehydrated foods and everything else, and are planning to fight back if they're persecuted. Love your enemies. Do good to those who do evil to you. Bless those who persecute you. They strike you on the one cheek, turn the other cheek, let them strike the other. There are all kinds of people out there that are preaching that what we're reading there is not, Jesus is not really saying what He's saying there. But oh yes, He is. Those are the plain words of Jesus. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, give him to eat. And if he is thirsty, give him to drink. Not form armies. Not to fight evil with evil. So Saul of Tarsus, it says, was wreaking <coughs> havoc to the church, dragging men off and women, committing them to prison, imprisoning them for the purpose of torture or even an execution for persecuting, scourging and execution as we saw with Stephen. We go to chapter 9 then, Acts 9-1. Then Saul, still breathing, verse 1, then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest. So they were executing some of the disciples and committing others to prison. Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the, the, the synagogues of Damascus, so that if any, he found any who were of that way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goat. And so he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, Arise, go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. Then the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he didn't see. <coughs> but they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was there three days without sight, neither ate nor drank. A murderous man. A horrible man. A religious man. Thinking he's doing service to God, just like the high priest when they, when they crucified Jesus, when they murdered Stephen. And now here's the, here's the ringleader of the murders now. Saul of Tarsus. The disciples of Jesus were known for doing what Jesus commanded. 
Do you believe that they were praying for this enemy? God changes Saul just like that by striking him with blindness and confronting him with a bright light and confronting him face to face. The power of God hasn't changed. He's still able to instantly change. One man waters, one man sows seed, another man waters it. God makes it grow. And God can make it grow in an instant of time. You see it in the Word of God. You see it. People say, well, God doesn't work today like He did then. You know who also said that? The Israelites said that. Gideon said that. Where is this power we've heard about of, of, uh, of the Lord taking the Israelites out of Egypt? Where is all this power we heard about to open the Red Sea and bring them into the Promised Land? We don't see that anymore. It was a time of darkness in Israel at that time. And lukewarmness. And spiritual laziness. And idolatry. Carnality. The Bible says in the last times that would be the state of the church. But He calls us into the light to follow Him. And to believe that God is still the same and to believe in His promises that He is still the same and He still can save somebody in a moment's time. That he can strike somebody with whatever is necessary and to confront somebody. And so we should be encouraged by that. That's still our God. He's still that God. And he hasn't changed. And that should give us confidence moving forward that he is still the same God. Because it's in his word that this is who he is. And this is the kind of stuff he does. And what limits that? We read it when Jesus went into His own hometown. It says He couldn't do many works there. In the Gospel of Matthew, it said words this way. He could not do many works there because of their unbelief. That's what holds back the power of God. His unbelief. The people of the church, the early church, we talk about the early church, they had faith. And they were growing in faith. It says the fear of God was upon them all. Why? They believed God. They had faith in the power of God in everything they were doing. For the most part. You see it happening over and over again. Not that they were perfect, but you could see it happening over and over again. Verse 10. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And so the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying, and in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him, so that he might receive his sight. And then Ananias said, answered and said, Wait a minute, Lord. 
Ananias answered and said, Lord, I have heard from many about this man how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. So everybody knew who Saul of Tarsus was and what a bad guy he was to the church and how he was harming the church and, and executing and imprisoning and everything else. He was on a rampage, on a rage to destroy the church. He was under the influence of Satan. He was controlled by Satan. And he was captive by the devil to do the devil's will. And we know many people like that. But there's hope. And so, you hear Ananias saying, Lord, you're sending me this guy. This guy's... This is a this is danger. What are you, where are you sending me? I've heard all about this guy. A lot of people have told me about this guy. Where are you sending me? He's questioning God. And God's answer is very straight. He's, the Lord said to him, verse 15, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went, in his, went his way, entered the house, laying his hands on him, and he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales. He received his sight at once. He arose and was baptized. And he was received food. He was strengthened. And then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. Immediately he preached the Christ in the he preached the Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. Then all who heard were amazed and said, Is this not he who destroyed those calling on this name in Jerusalem and has come here for that purpose so that he might bring them bound to the chief priests? A changed man and a radically changed man. This is what salvation is about. The power of God coming upon, drawing somebody and coming upon him. And it changed life. So people said, he went and started preaching completely against what he was doing before. He's a changed man. A changed heart. But this man does not go back like King Saul. This man becomes a Christian and he becomes a great apostle. And he never turns back and he does great damage to the kingdom of darkness. And God uses him greatly. He is God's chosen vessel. And He chose a murderous man. So we have to stop looking at people for who they are. Because God does not look at the outward appearance as He told Samuel in another place, the prophet. He said man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks upon the heart. And He can change somebody in a moment's time. So when we look at somebody who is wretched, we look at somebody who's evil and violent and murderous like King Saul. We look at a man who is a lustful sinner like I used to be. And an irreverent man and a blasphemous man like me. 
When we look at somebody like that, we have a natural tendency to write them off. We share the word with them at a duty, but if we don't see any change in them, it's like they don't want to. They don't want to hear the word. Oh no. Saul of Tarsus heard the word, and he fought furiously against it until God had His way. Perhaps much of it had to do with the prayers of Christians praying for their enemy. We have to take that into consideration because that was Jesus' command to His disciples. And they seemed to be taking everything else seriously that Jesus was commanding. Jesus said, pray for those who persecute you. It's right there in black and white in the Word of God. Or red and white in the red letter edition. Let's take a look at a couple other... Let's take a look at a couple tax collectors. The first one is in Matthew 9. The hated tax collectors. Why were they hated? Just a review. The tax collectors, the publicans, were Jews, but they worked for the Romans. And of course, the Romans had captured Israel, and the Israelites were under Roman occupation. The Romans were harsh, they were cruel, they crucified their criminals that were violent, were uh, thieves and stuff like that. They were hated. And those who worked for the Romans were hated too. And here are these publicans, these Jews who collect taxes for the Romans, and the Romans allowed them to collect whatever they wanted. So, if you have to pay 10 bucks, they could charge 20. Doubling, half for them, half for the Romans. And they were known for being wealthy for doing that. A very lucrative business, wealthy men. And that's why they were hated by the rest of the Jews, in case anybody didn't know that. So when you go into chapter 9, in verse 9, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, Follow me. So he got up and followed him. Now it happened as Jesus sat at the table in the house, that behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard that, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I do not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. You see that Jesus saw the, the tax collectors. It says tax collectors and sinners. Tax collectors and sinners as though they were synonymous. At this feast that Levi, Matthew, who's also called Matthew, made, at this feast, there are many sinners there. 
Jesus was seen eating with prostitutes and tax collectors and thieves and all kinds of sinners. And the religious said, well, why are you with them? Because they saw them with no hope. Just like we're talking about. They didn't see them as God saw them. They didn't love them the way God did. They didn't have hope for them the way Jesus did. Jesus was calling them to repentance. And He calls this man, this rich man at this rich business, this, this sinner who ripped people off, his own countrymen off, the hated man. And He says, Come, follow me. And he gets up and walks away from his business. Never to do it again. He walks away from his riches. God changed him in a moment's time to walk away from his wealthy business, from his riches. In a moment's time. You look at a man, those people looked at a man like that, and the religious looked at men like that, and said, what are you doing with these guys? What's the matter with you? Don't you know who these guys are? Look at them. Man does not see as God sees. God knows exactly what he's doing. And there we go to the Gospel of Luke chapter 19. Verse 1. Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And he sought to see who Jesus was, who cannot be, but he could not because of the crowd. For he was of short stature, he was a short man. And so he ran ahead and climbed into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came into that place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. But when they saw it, they all complained, saying, He is gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. You see the natural mind and how it resists because looking through the natural eyes, the carnal natural eyes. We can't do that. It's our natural inclination. We can't do that. Verse 8, Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I'll give half of my goods to the poor, and if I have taken anything from, a, from anyone by false accusation, I restore it four times. That's what it says in the law. If you rip anybody off, you're going to pay them four times as much. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he is also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. And the Lord Jesus wants to use us in that process also. The same Spirit that is in Jesus, if we are in Christ, is also in us. And he wants us to be in the process of seeking and to saving those who are lost. We see a man, Zacchaeus, another wealthy man. 
In a moment's time, you see a radical change. Did he change himself? No. God, this was an act of God. People just don't change like this naturally. The power of God came upon this man. And the first thing out of his mouth is words of repentance. He said, Lord, I'm going to give half of what I have to the poor. Okay? So half of what he has goes to the poor. And he says, and with that other half that's left, I'm going to repay all the people I'm ripping off. And I'm not just going to repay them, but I'm going to do it four times as much as I've, stole, as I've ripped them off. He's stricken by the Spirit of God. And Jesus said, This day salvation has come upon His house. In a moment's time, He has changed and becomes a new man. And He repents to the point where He gives away. final thoughts now I'm going to let you brothers comment on this or anything else you want to teach or share or comment on <clears throat> this week we read about how Paul was preaching in Philippi and there is a certain woman, a seller of purple, named Lydia. It says that God opened her heart to take heed to the things that Paul was preaching. And she was converted. God opened her heart. Remember what Jesus said. No one can come to me unless the Father draws him. We must begin to put our faith in the process that God uses to change somebody. It gives us hope. Not only for our loved ones, but for the people that God brings into our path. Let's be encouraged to let God use us in their lives. To speak through us. As Paul said, as God were speaking through us, as ambassadors for Christ, be reconciled to God. God will speak through us. God will use us in that process. And we can be encouraged, not by what we see, The Apostle Paul said, God brought many trials upon us to the point we, dis to we despaired of life. He says, these things came upon us so we, in this that we would learn not to trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. In another place, Peter says, that we are kept or preserved, one version says, by faith in the power of God. So we must look to God in the ministry. We must look to God to use us. We must look to God for our loved ones who are not going the right way. Or as we look to the feet, young, young parents who are raising their children in a dark Sodom and Gomorrah world. The days of Noah world. As we raise them, we can be confident and we can have hope and not be fearful that our children 
as we as we teach them the right way to go, as God commits us to do our part, that we can have faith that God is hearing us in our prayers for our loved ones, for our children that we're raising up as little children to follow the Lord. We can have hope. And we can be comforted. And so that we're not anxious and troubled and distressed in our minds. And that we're not in turmoil in our soul. Because God hears us. As it says in the Old Testament, Hagar called him Jehovah, I forget the name in Hebrew, but it means the God who sees. God sees. In our place it says the God who hears. We have to have hope. <coughs> In a moment's time, God took the greatest king on earth at his time, the most powerful king, who the whole war, the whole Middle East, Middle Eastern world, the whole Mediterranean world was servant to, and made him eat grass, go out and eat grass in a pasture like a cow, for seven times, whatever seven times are. Some people think it means seven years. And he lost his mind. And it happened in a moment's time. The power of God struck him in a moment's time. King Nebuchadnezzar. And he was eating grass like a cow for seven whatever. Seven days, seven weeks, seven months, seven years. Until he humbled himself and acknowledged that God, and this is from his own words, that God rules over the kingdoms of men. And he puts in authority whoever he wants. He puts in authority the lowest of men. He humbled him. In a, and, and he struck him in a moment's time. King Herod, who killed John the Baptist, who killed James the, uh, the Apostle, the brother of John, in a moment's time, he struck him. And he was eaten with an angel struck him. He was eaten with worms and he died in a moment's time. Because he didn't give glory to God. The conversion on Pentecost, when Peter preached his first sermon on Pentecost, 3,000 people were converted on the, at one time from that first sermon. First Corinthians chapter 4, Paul says, But the kingdom of God is not in words, but in power. Think about it. In Jeremiah chapter 31, God prophesies to him about the new covenant. God says the time is coming that will bring forth a new covenant. He says, it will not be like the covenant that I made with the children of Israel on Mount Sinai. He says, this is the covenant that I will make with them. He says, I will put my law on their minds and I will write it in their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. The new covenant, the power of God to change people in a moment's time. But who says when that moment is? God does. And it gives us hope. And we should be people of hope. When we look at others around us that are in darkness, that look bad, 
They're, they're the Saul of Tarsuses of the world. They're the Levi's of this world. They're the Zacchaeuses of this world. They're the demon-possessed of this world. We're sitting out in a tomb, crying, living out in tombs, running around naked, crying. And the mercy of the Lord came upon this wretched man. And he cast all the demons out of him. And he wanted to follow, he wanted to go with me with Jesus. And Jesus said, No. He said, Go back to your hometown. And he says, Declare to them the great things God has done. And so we can do that in our hometown. And God can use us. It doesn't matter where people do jumping jacks and and jump for joy at the things that we share. Because we're just so we're just doing our part. But in that, God can use that. And remember, all these instances that we read of people changing in a moment's time. Jesus said, we are the light of the world. He said, let your light so shine before men that they see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. That's what I have here today. And if any brothers would like to share, comment on this that we read, we're 